0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable.
1: You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up to become a Go Hunt Insider today at GoHunt.com. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of time and dollars back to fish and wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Ewing, and this is episode 36. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Sam Soholt. Sam and his brother, Josh, co-founded the 2% certified brand Public Land Tees, uh, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Um, Today, Sam and I have a great conversation. Uh, We get to talk a lot about Sam's upbringing in the outdoors. Uh, He tells a pretty cool story about really what got the ball rolling for him uh, in terms of the outdoors and what led him into um, a career in the outdoors um, with photography and videography and, and how one kind of chance encounter uh, led him uh, down the path that uh, that he's on. Um, we get into uh, a lot about also uh, what Public Land Tees has done for conservation, uh, the reasoning behind starting uh, the company and the brand and really what their mission is and what their goal is uh, in terms of raising funds and awareness for conservation um, I'm sure many of you, again, are familiar with the Stamp It Forward project. We get to talk about that a little bit more in depth. Uh, Sam also teases a little bit about um, this new project that he has coming out uh, that I'm excited for all you guys to hear about. He doesn't let on too much, but um, he was able to give me a little bit of insight offline. And uh, it's, 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 it's something really exciting. And um, I would expect nothing less from, uh, from Sam and his brother in terms of what they're doing for conservation and, and raising money uh, and awareness. So really cool episode. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it. All right. On the line with me today, I have the co-founder of 2% certified brand, Public Land Teas, as well as the man behind the Public Land bus and the Public Land van, Mr. Sam Soholt. Sam, how are you today?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I know we've uh, we've tried to connect a few times over the past couple of months, but obviously with... With hunting season and then just the holidays and stuff, uh, it can be a little bit tricky. So I'm glad we're able to make some time.
0: Yeah, me too. It's uh, typically pretty hard to track me down uh, if it is hunting season. I tend to forget pretty much everything else that I'm doing other than focusing on that. So
1: yeah, no, there's there's hey, there's nothing wrong with that, man. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slight someone because they want to spend some more time in the field.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So <clears throat> before we kind of get into into public land tees, uh, and, and all the work that you guys have done for conservation uh, through that aspect, I want to talk a little bit about kind of your upbringing um, in the outdoors and and your introduction to it and what that kind of looked like. So take me through that. What did um, the outdoors look like to you as you were kind of growing up?
0: So it's it's hard for me to remember a time where I wasn't spending time in the field, whether that was just you know, hiking around or being at a lake or whatever, or actually out in the field hunting with my, uh, dad and older brother. And so, I mean, I can go all the way back to memories when I was, you know, five, six years old and walking through fields when you're just looking up at the tops of the, you know, corn stalks or whatever, yeah. just make sure you follow that road to the end and try to keep listening <laughs> for, you know, dad's voice, you know, yelling at pheasants and whatever. And, um, so the, you know, for me growing up, it, it really almost wasn't a choice. It was just part of, part of life, uh, from the very beginning. So, um, and then obviously that passion just continued to grow through the years. And, um, you know, as my older brother, Josh got, got into it more, obviously I got into it more cause we were able to do a lot of hunting together when he was old enough to kind of like, you know, for our parents to trust us together yeah. out in the field alone. And then, um, you know, all the way to the point where I made the the conscious decision on where to go to college because I wanted to duck hunt more. And so, you know, went to North Dakota State University as a way to uh, not only to get a degree, but also be able to uh, spend time in some of the, the best duck hunting in the world. So, yeah, um, yeah it's just kind of always been part of who I am.
1: See, so that was kind of leading into a, a question that I had, too, is I know a lot of people, or at least that, that I've spoken to, when they start off with the outdoors at a young age, and then you kind of get into high school, um, and then into college, and whether it's friends, just sports, whatever the case is, they the the outdoors kind of takes a bit of a backseat, right? Did that happen for you, or was it were you pretty fluid kind of throughout uh, high school and into college?
0: It was pretty fluid. You know, I did all the sports. You know, did uh, football, basketball, and track in high school for a couple of years, and then kind of like honed it down. Where like my final year of of high school, I was actually just on the track team. Okay. I had decided to quit playing football, quit playing basketball, and uh, focus on hunting and then throwing disc and uh, shot put at the time. Um, but yeah, and then college, um, I probably, I started hunting more than I ever had when I got to college um, because I you know, could schedule classes later in the day and even though I was still on the track team, um, by the time I was in grad school, I had all of my grad school classes were at night and um, track practices were in the afternoon. And so if I wasn't working in that day, like I was typically hunting, I think uh, like that final fall, fall of 2010, I think I was probably hunting four or five days a week. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, a, and that was a balancing act, trying to uh, make a little bit of money and hunt that much and then still pass all of my classes, which was, uh, and then track, you know, just all of it was, I was very busy, but it was all very fun.
1: Yeah, I mean that's yeah, like you said, that's a that's a bit of a balancing act, and then just working to try to basically fund the morning hunts and and things like that that you're going on when you're not at at class or at practice or anything. So no, I can I can appreciate the hustle just to uh, to make some money to to make sure that you're out in the field. So well done on that.
0: Yeah, and it got real expensive that same year because I started archery hunting in 2010, and so I was, I mean I'd grown up you know upland and waterfowl mainly, and uh, once I started archery hunting, you know I had all this waterfowl hunting gear, but all of a sudden I was buying, you know, a bow and tree stands and tree steps and, you know, everything that goes oh, yeah. into it. So I was uh, beyond broke, but I was having a great time.
1: <laughs> I don't know if there's a college kid out there that, that can't look, look back on their experience and regardless of what they were into, you know, they were beyond broke as well, but yeah, they had a hell of a time with whatever yeah. they were doing. So it's no regrets in that regard.
0: No, nope, not even a little bit.
1: So at what point was it was it in high school or was it later in college that you realized that you wanted to um make a career out of the outdoors?
0: Well, it so growing up I was always interested in video video work really. Okay. Like I, you know, um would film stuff like snowboarding and skateboarding and rollerblading videos with my buddies and um had a few little Canon like, you know, handy mini DV cams and yeah. uh, was trying to do some uh, like video stuff when we were hunting and whatever, but it, none like none of it was ever, I never took any of it all that serious. Um, or at least had no idea what I was doing. And as I got further in college, I, you know, I'd actually kicked around the idea that once I was finished business school that I might go to film school. And so like the passion was there to like try to do something with this, but it wasn't until I started archery hunting that it really pushed me over the top to try to like go into that field. Um, that first fall I started archery hunting. I had an incredibly lucky season, you know, beginner's luck. Sometimes, you know, all oh, yeah. things in the universe conspire to help you out. There. Yeah,
1: nothing wrong with so that.
0: I started. I started archery hunting and I ended up – first year I wanted to shoot anything with antlers. I didn't care yeah. how big it was and shot a little tiny two-by-three. Um, and then, like, I think it was like eight or nine days later I shot – like a Pope and young five by five um, oh, geez. <laughs> by both, like that same season. And so like I was th- to the moon, like, you know, so jacked about archery hunting a big game and this different experience. And, um, I was so excited and, and wanted like so badly at the, in that moment to like be part, like have do more, do that more. I started cold calling and emailing any hunting show, anything in the hunting industry that I could find an email or a phone number for. Okay. And, a friend of mine, um, growing up, we you know both hunted and whatever, and he had sent me this uh, this new video series, um, uh, Midwest Whitetail. You know, like at that time, it was yeah. uh, I think a year old. And so I um, found an email on MidwestWhitetail.com. And I emailed and asked if they ever looked for interns or whatever. Told them my you know I was uh, getting my MBA and blah blah blah. Um, Bill Winky emailed me back. Couple hours after I sent the email, I was like, "Hey, we're always looking for interns. Why don't you come down over Christmas break and we'll interview you and and see if you're a good fit for the for the job?" And so I, you know, sent him my information. And went down there over Christmas break, and we went and picked up. I rolled into the office. Bill showed up. Uh, we went over and picked up a couple of long subs at Subway there in Elvia, went back to the office, ate the subs, talked for about 10 minutes. And he's like, all right, well, uh, you know, it's good to meet you. I'll, uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> <I> <laughs> all the way down there for the a job. sub
1: and a little conversation. <laughs> it was
0: just like such a short period of time. Met a couple of the guys in the office when I was in town and, and, then, uh, and then I was gone again. But um, yeah, I ended up getting that job. And then that's really when it like, you know, took off for me. That was like the very beginning. Um, but yeah, the, the, kind of that. To circle back, that spark and interest was um, that moment when I had, you know, had such a successful fall, and I was just all fired up about it.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's got to be quite the roller coaster of emotion. I mean, one, not only shooting your first your first archery buck, you know, and like you said, a little two by three, which anyone who's ever hunted, I mean, that's that's their goal, like the first time out or when they kind of first get serious, right? Like, if it's got horns, I'm taking it, right? Like it's it's yep. uh, almost like a rite of passage for for any hunter that yep. first buck. But then to turn around like a week and a half later and put a Pope and Young on the ground. I mean, at what point were you just kind of thinking to yourself like, this archery stuff, man, this is easy. Like this
0: hunting thing, like yeah, that white tail,
1: like, come on, this isn't tough.
0: I, no, I mean I I wasn't really thinking that, but I was I was thinking I was certainly better than I was. <laughs> I mean, I looking back on it, I had no idea. I mean, like when I shot that deer, like <clears throat> it was simply because it was the heat of the rut. Yeah. I mean, I had put up a ground blind that morning in a not well hidden spot, kind of just like, kind of in the middle of nowhere. I just knew deer traveled past this area right. sometimes. Happened to be that one. So. So.
1: <laughs> yeah I mean sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, and that's it kind of sounds yeah. like that may have been the case there where you just <laughs> and, and and it's funny like when you when you think kind of back on things now and and the things you did when you first started hunting, how you would never even consider doing that like you know it's one thing to to maybe like hang a tree stand in the morning and then come hunt the evening, but to put up like a pop up blind or something like that i mean that's just you're just disrupting so much by doing that right, but then still killing a, a huge buck out of there no that's that's a that's a cool story
0: yeah that was a fun one so.
1: So now you, you get the um the internship um and then what does that the process kind of look like from there to like kind of to to where you're where you're at now or, or uh yeah. you know, getting further along into the outdoor industry.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I like going through this story because I think it really shows that it's not most of the time it's not these huge choices that, that change the course of what you what you do. Mm-hmm. It's uh So, got the internship with Midwest Whitetail, and then uh, my brother, a a year before, had opened, him and his business partner had opened up a backcountry hunting store and archery pro shop in Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay. And, um, so, like, you know, it just kind of became part of this plan where, like, when I was done with my internship with Midwest Whitetail, I was just going to move to Colorado and, um you know, work, help Josh with his shop and try to get a job out there, you know, however it it worked out. And so I like drove home from the internship, was at home in Sioux Falls where I grew up for a night and then uh, turned around the next day and drove west and moved into my brother and sister-in-law's apartment with them in Fort Collins and uh, started working at Gannett Ridge is what it was called and uh, um, was working there every day and then started Producing YouTube like content for them, which was mostly like gear overviews, stuff about the shop, right. um, and just kind of built that channel up as well as you know selling bows and fixing bows and tuning stuff and selling gear and you know it was my first like look at you know stuff like Sitka and Everly Stock and First Light and you yeah. know like all of these brands that you know at that point I really had no idea about but I learned you know had so much education in that short little time. And then when I was working there, one of the sales rep that that sold to us, he actually owned the sales rep agency, a guy named Todd Carell. He, uh, offered me a position within his sales rep agency to cover the Northern Rockies territory, which was Montana, Idaho, and most of Wyoming. Okay. So, um, I took that job and, and moved to Bozeman. And, uh, basically, um, like uh, sales were going really well, like I was doing well, but you, know, I only got paid on commission. And right. so like the timeline that it took for like, you know, if I go into a shop and sell $20,000 worth of stuff and my commission is 5%, well, I'm not going to get paid on that until that store, that store pays for the gear, the gear ships and shows up and then the checks in the bank for the company and then I get cut a check. so
1: man on the totem pole gets paid last. Yeah.
0: yeah. So um, I just, uh, Went moved to Bozeman to uh, and ended up with not much money in a short period of time because I was <laughs> on the road all the time trying to sell. And uh, but in the meantime, I um, for a long I, I had a hard time like working from home. I just uh, I need like a space where like okay I, I, now I'm working. And so yeah. I would go to coffee shops all the time. And one of the coffee shops that was in walking distance was the Starbucks at inside Safeway. <laughs> so so I walked there one day and. I sat down and this guy sitting next to me and he's on the phone and he's talking about a video project that he was working on. And so he gets off the phone and I was like, Hey man, I wasn't trying to listen to your conversation. Just heard you were working on some video project. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm doing this thing for, um, the museum of the Rockies here in Bozeman, just a little project. He's like, but my main thing is I'm a, I produce a hunting show on the outdoor tele, outdoor TV or yeah. Um, the outdoor network. okay And, uh, I was like, oh, you know, it's like funny you mentioned that. Like I just got done filming this, and did, you know, so we exchanged information and it was like a month later, he was like, Hey, do you know how to run this camera? Um, so yeah. And he's like, all right, well, I need a second shooter on a bear hunt in Alaska. You want to go? <laughs> and so like, I have no money. I, this opportunity comes up where I'm actually going to get a day rate for like filming. Like yeah. the first time I ever got paid to like go film something. I was like, "Uh, yeah, I think I'll go to Alaska for 10 days and make a little bit of money.
1: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So
0: I went up there with him just, you know, with all intentions to just move back to Bozeman and keep being a sales rep. Well, through that trip, got introduced to another shooter, and they were looking for another cameraman on the show, Coast Guard Alaska. And so got in touch with the producer on that show, and he's like, yeah, we need a camera guy. You know, can you get up here and whatever? So... Got offered this shooting position on Coast Guard, Alaska on a Thursday while I was at ICAST in Vegas. And he's like, oh, we'll book your flight for Monday morning at whatever time. And so, changed my flight, I told my sales rep agency, I was like, I'm moving to Kodiak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least for the foreseeable future. And um, I don't know if I'll be a sales rep anymore by the time I get back. But, so yeah, flew home, changed my flight, flew home a day early. Packed up all my stuff, got on the plane, moved to Kodiak for five months and filmed for Coast Guard Alaska and then met somebody from the History Channel and they needed another shooter. So I filmed bear hunting for a month at the end of my stint up there. And then on that, you know, it was just like this series of meeting the right people at the right time. And last bear hunt that I filmed, I met a guy named Chris Ellis, who was a a PR guy for Remington Firearms. And he was like, hey, you know, do you ever do uh, professional photography? I was like, well, I haven't, but, you know, yeah, kind of, and he's like, all right, well, I need somebody to shoot this new product seminar in Arizona next month, and so here I am on a plane, you know, (laughs) four weeks later down to Arizona, and then I met, you know, a bunch of editors and writers in the hunting space and shooting space, and it just kind of, like, kept
1: ticking along, you
0: know, as I, as I networked, and as I, you know, got to know these people, and they saw my work and whatever, they just kept hiring me for different jobs, and You know, all of that led into, you know, magazine covers and going on all these wild trips and, um, and then, you know, like once kind of got through all that, like then it was time for the next project and that's where the bus came in. So,
1: yeah. So that, that's kind of a a perfect transition in the way that kind of all works together. But before we get into that, I mean, that's, that's a really cool story. And I didn't know that, um, like all of the, the different experiences that you had had kind of along the way, I mean, Hell, you're not that old. I mean, you've, you've packed like a, it seems like almost like a lifetime worth of travel and work and, and things like that into a very small amount of time when you first got started there.
0: Yeah. If you're if you're willing to live uh, life on the road like that yeah. and just, you know, like sacrifice having a little bit of rootedness, man, you can do some cool stuff in a very short period of time. Yeah. Well, it
1: sounds like, especially like right after grad school, um, you know, that was like the perfect, the perfect time and the perfect opportunity to to do that, to be able to, you know, see the, you know, see the better part of North America, you know, yeah. for traveling yeah. and, and shooting different uh, things for, for different people. I mean, from the Coast Guard to, you know, bear hunts. And yeah, I mean, that, that's just a, a crazy amount of different stuff, which is really cool. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, I've been, been super lucky. And, um, you know, I think it, a lot of that stemmed, and I didn't cover this in the story, but a lot of that stemmed from, I had a one of my best friends in college who, uh, he was a few years older than me, Um, like right around the same time we were both kind of like not struggling but trying to decide what we wanted to do with our lives a little bit you know like he was at that time coaching pole vault for the track team Okay. I was still a thrower you know and uh, we had this conversation that was just you know like uh, we just need to live life for the story you know like make decisions based on what's going to be the better story not so much what's going to be the most secure decision down the road And so both of us did that and, you know, he ended up becoming uh, one of the country's best pole vaulters and um, started doing video production and blew up his YouTube channel and and is now like, um, he did uh, like all of this awesome work for the pole vault community. And then now he's like starting to like slide into this whole other aspect of mental health, like education, all this stuff and doing a bunch of cool stuff. And then obviously I went the route that I did, but it was, uh, it was fun to have kind of like a partner in crime, and both, you know, both of us just saying yes to the stuff that, you know, a lot of people might not even see as an opportunity.
1: Yeah, and that's that's a that's an interesting like outlook or, or way to kind of approach life, you know, because I think a lot of people kind of have it ingrained in them at an early age, like especially once you become an adult, like it's being secure, you know, especially like financially and things like that. So to kind of take the you know the one eighty approach and be like okay, like it might not make me any money. Hell, it might cost me more money than I have, but it's going to be a heck of a story. and It's going to be something I can, you know, look back on forever. And uh, it definitely sounds like for the two of you guys, it worked out really well.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, like um, it's, uh, it's hard to, I, I guess, where, where are you at? Where are you located? I'm in Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, yeah. So, so you get it, you know, like Midwest or Great Lakes region, or whatever you want to call it, the center of the country. Is is by far and away more ingrained to have this, this secure type of living. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, and, and and I understand it is because not our parents but our parents' parents all lived through the depression. Yep. And so that it was ingrained in them that you go to school or not, but you get a job and you work that job, you create a career, and then you retire at some point in the future. And so, like, we're living off this mentality that is you you graduate you get a job you get married you have kids you, you know you do all this thing and it's like this checklist yep it goes through and for the longest time man when i would like go home or whatever and you know i'd be talking to people about what i do um you could tell that they were like wow that's really cool but like you could also tell like well when are you gonna do all these things yeah, when you're you supposed gonna
1: settle to settle down right
0: <laughs> yeah and um and so it's it I understand that when people from the center of the country struggle with making these decisions because it, it's it's hard to break out of that mentality. But man, the further you go to the coast, um, like ever, like there's hardly anybody that doesn't think like that. At least yeah. in the you know entrepreneurial space. Yeah, and that's
1: um, th- that's interesting. Like when you talked about like just like kind of the the Midwest, the middle of the country, like outlook that we have. Like I remember growing up, and my dad always had the same job for until I was like 18 or see, I was a senior in high school and he switched careers. And I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, like this is like earth shattering, Like, Like he's, mm-hmm. he's still working, but he, he, he's, he's working for a different company now and a different job. And it's just, it's funny. Like when you pointed that out and I kind of think back, it's like, Oh wow. Like, yeah, like it was almost ingrained in me and I didn't even, you don't even realize it, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And both my parents, you know, worked the same career for, you know, their entire career. Yeah. Uh, you know, my dad was, he worked for the foundation with Avera Hospital System, raising money for all of the hospitals that were included in that system. And uh, so he did that. My mom uh, started as an RN, but then uh, moved into a completely different role, like, you know, with, but still stayed in the yeah. hospital system and ran a, she was the director of women's health, and, uh, and then which became the um, director of functional medicine. Um, but it would like both of them work this corporate life, corporate job, yeah. you know, for our entire lives, and uh, you know, th- listening to them talk about the bureaucracy within corporations and all this stuff they had to put up with, and you know, like there'd be like an acquisition with the hospital to acquire some, acquire you know, some other small hospital, but through that, you know, they'd have a new boss because that was part of the deal, and then oh, yeah. dealing with that and all this different stuff, and it was just like, yeah, I don't. I don't know <laughs> I don't know that I'm cut out for corporate life.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it uh <clears throat> I think that's especially a lot more like in, in this generation where a lot more like questioning authority and, and just kind of thinking outside the box and always I mean, I think the the internet and social media has certainly changed how, you know, uh young professionals view view the work the work world or the yeah, the, the workforce. There we go
0: yeah i really i honestly can't imagine being in h r in a corporation trying to hire people like our age or younger yeah I mean it's got to be a nightmare because because <laughs> what, i would I would imagine there's a lot of people that aren't great employees because oh yeah. have this feeling like that they wanna you know do their own thing even though they're within this constraints or whatever so
1: yeah so yeah. before we kind of got into that, you had said you were you were talking about the the experiences and everything leading up to um your, your kind of next big project, which was the public land bus. So what kind of went into that? I'm sure it's a story that you've told on dozens of podcasts and just to buddies and people in general, but for, for listeners of this that, that may not uh, know the full story, kind of walk me through that. What did that look like going from the idea to actually buying the bus and, and renovating it and everything?
0: Yeah. So the, the bus idea started a long time before I actually bought one. Um yeah, Originally like, you know, it was working with Josh and Tyler, you know, it was like this whole school bus idea could have been like, um, like a marketing vehicle for the shop. Right. Um, or, you know, and then it kind of like transformed. It was like, well, maybe we should put in like a, um, like a mobile bow shop. So they were in Fort Collins and it was like, well, we could, you know, like go to Laramie once a week, um, and, you know, fix people's bows and sell people bows and, you know, do all this stuff. And nothing, it never really manifested into anything because, you know, it's a school bus, <laughs> Uh, but, like, after those conversations, like, every time I would see a bus, like, all I could see was, like, the potential. Like, oh, you know, like, that's a tiny home on wheels. That's a, you know, like, oh, that's yeah, absolutely base camp. That's the whatever. And um, it was the fall, end of the fall of 2016. And I was coming off, like, an amazing year of shooting photos and had traveled all over the place and had, you know, like, I had a lot of goals in the, the, photography space that I had reached you know magazine covers and you know different publications you know publishing my photos and working for certain clients and um always looking for the next big project and what I was having a hard time figuring out is okay like let's say I buy a school bus and turn it into this cool little hunting shack what's the point like what's the purpose like you you know like that's cool for a little while right but without an actual mission like you start to, it just falls apart, you know, like, Oh, it's this, some kid bought a bus and he's haunting out of it. You know, like that's, that's a pretty cool hit for a little bit. Um, but at that very same time obviously it was an election year and the threat of losing our public lands had never been more prominent. Right. And I mean, I, my entire life and living is based on, you know, access to these public lands and, or, you know, public lands adjacent if I was, you know, who, depending on who I was shooting for. Right. And so um, I was driving one day and it, it just kind of came into my head. I was like, Oh, what if, what if you tie, what if I tie the bus project and, and use it as this billboard to raise awareness about public land issues? Because at that time, the hunting community and the outdoor community was not nearly as well versed as they are now on all of these issues and how important they are. You know, like the whole keep it public movement, all that stuff was public landowner. Like none of that was really a thing at that point. Right. And so I came up with this concept to use the bus as a billboard and um, start, I mean I was searching, like started searching for a bus at that point. And Josh, my brother, actually found one out in Colorado that it had been used as a school bus and then, Twenty thousand miles before I bought it, the school district had done a complete rebuild on the motor and transmission. Okay. So I had this body that had 190,000 miles on it, but a motor and transmission that only had 20,000 miles on it. And he was asking 5,500 bucks. And I'm a bit of a trader, and so I was trying to like bargain with him for like hunting gear and guns and coolers and you know like yeah do this big trade. And he he's got tired of me and he's like, all right, I'll take five thousand dollars worth of trade. Or 3,500 cash. I was like, cash. I'll have it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, New Year's Eve, 2016, I went and picked up the bus in Fort Lupton, Colorado, and uh, drove it back up and parked it in Fort Collins for a little while. Um, and then, then I really got to work. You know, it was it was time to like, okay, I have this bus now. Like, I need to sell this concept, or like at least you know make people aware about what I'm doing. So I went to ATA and Shop Show that year in January, already owning a 36-foot school bus. And I was like, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. This is my plan. This is how it's going to roll out. You know, like, um, would, you, would you like to be on board? And I went to, you know, talked to a whole pile of different companies that I already shot photos for. And every single one of them was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. We're on board. Let's do it, you know. And then not one <laughs> actually followed through. So, <laughs> I, I've heard so stories I about
1: like 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 different like uh, trade shows and stuff like that where everyone's like, "Oh yeah, this is a great idea. We're going to do this. We're going to do this." And then everything just falls. Like nothing actually comes to fruition.
0: Yeah. So the only thing that came of it was, uh, I mean, I self-funded the whole build, um, paying for it all off of other you know photography work that right. I was still doing, and um, the only one that actually came through but it wasn't even financially it was just uh outdoor life was very curious about the story and wanted to help share it and so uh, produced four videos for them to put out on facebook kind of related to elk hunting and public lands and and uh uh so that those those all came out in december of that first year that i was in the bus okay um, and that like, at the end of the year, I was like, well, that was great. This is, <laughs> this, is, this has been good. So this is the um, end of
1: 2017 now, right? Yeah, 2017. Okay. I
0: did the whole build the summer of 2017. Right. And then uh, those videos came out, and then it just, like, ignited the fire and, like, actually gave the bus some traction. And then all the people that I had originally gone to were like, yeah, okay, we want to do something, you know, can you put – let's put together a project. And so that's really when – you know, like uh, it really got some meat going behind it. And, you know, uh, 2018 was a huge year. Did a bunch of films and a bunch of photography and a bunch of, you know, podcasts and conservation talk and raise yeah. money. And um, the same time that I, you know, bought the bus and built the bus, Josh and I started Public Land Teas um, as a way to not only raise awareness about public land issues but to actually raise money and give back to all of these organizations who are fighting every day to keep public land public. So it was our way to, you know, like kind of give back to the sport that has given so much to us.
1: Yeah. And that's, that was kind of one of the things I wanted to, to ask about and talk a little bit more about as well was obviously the reason that we're, we're able to get together for this podcast is, um, is your, is the company that you and your brother, Josh uh, co-founded public land tease, which is a 2% certified company. Uh, 2% obviously uh, is a partner on the podcast here. So how did you guys come up with that idea for, like, was it, was it, was there, uh, were you, you were thinking like, okay, let's, let's form some type of business or was it always apparel and did it always kind of look like what it is now?
0: Uh, It was always going to be apparel. And uh, the main reason for that is because it it's a it's a business that allows for enough margin to, to actually be able to give back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the time, you know, if you're selling hard goods um, or you know more high end type stuff, you know, your your profit margin on a good day is call it thirty percent. Um, but because you know it's t-shirts and it's not super expensive to produce, right. it gives you a little bit more wiggle room. Where you know if we if you know if we gave away so five dollars from every shirt ends up being roughly about 20 percent of our revenue goes back into conservation and um we couldn't do that in any other space and it also allows us to be kind of creative within the hunting industry and um you know not every shirt has to be like i'm public lands proud you know like we can just kind of make um cool lifestyle hunting gear and hopefully you know people like the designs enough to buy them and if they do buy them, some good is happening from that.
1: Yeah. So now as far as like the designs and everything, are those all just your and Josh's ideas?
0: Yep. Yep. Um, so the they all stem from our brains. <laughs> and then um, neither of us are good enough at graphic design to yeah. uh, put that idea into a computer. And so uh, we work with several different graphic guys. Um, or you know, I think we've worked with six or seven different graphic designers um, over the course of the years that we've been doing it. And it's kind of, it's been fun to get to know a bunch of them because, you know, some of the guys are good at one thing and some of the guys are good at another thing. And so like when we come up with a new idea, we can go, oh, you know, so-and-so would be really good at right. you know, putting that design to where we need it to. Um, so, yeah.
1: You know, I mean, it's it's a really cool thing and, and, and I love the, the designs that you guys put out. I mean, I think they're, not only do they cover a wide variety of outdoor activities, but I feel like, especially in this day and age, like... Everyone wants a cool t-shirt, right? Like everyone wants to be able to kind of say they support, you know, brand X or brand Y or, you know, whatever um, project or um, what, whatever is going on. People want to show a way or find a way to support, you know, what, what that thing is, is representing. And you guys do a really good job of covering everything from, you know, I think the last time I had checked out the website, I mean, turkey, bear, you know, elk uh, whitetail, uh, obviously waterfowl, upland bird. I mean, yeah, you guys cover really the whole gamut of, of really anything you can think of, uh, in terms of, you know, hunting.
0: Yeah. And, and trying to, you know, like, uh, so, uh, I should, I say we, but Josh does all of the production of all of the shirts and all of the shipping and all the back end like logistic stuff. So, um, you know, like even though both of us would like to have, you know, come out with more designs more often, like, yeah there's, there's some constraints on doing it all yourselves. Um, and so we, you know what this, uh, I think over the next, oh, the next year for sure, we're going to have some pretty cool things and we've got all sorts of ideas for different designs and stuff. So we're just really trying to expand that, um, into different spaces to kind of cover all the things, you know, if, if somebody really loves to do this type of activity, we've got a shirt for you.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. that's, I, I know what you mean that it's, you know, obviously we share some similarities there but yeah you can come up with all these ideas but yeah you you still got other ones you want to maybe sell through before you can come up with another one you don't just want to have you know a hundred different shirts and then you're kind of competing against yourself so to speak so yeah it's it's kind of a fine line right to to figure out what and when to to come up with uh with a new design and everything like that or or kind of launch it to the masses
0: yeah yeah and then you know like we're obviously so passionate about hunting that like a lot, you know, a lot of time we're in the field hunting and, uh, you know, we do a lot of brainstorming when we're on these trips and stuff. But at the same time, you know, if you're, if you're in the field, you're not, uh, making shirts and shipping shirts. So, um, but no, it's, it's been really good and, um, been super proud of what we've been able to accomplish, um, so far. And, you know, with any luck, that's just the tip of the iceberg and we can continue to, you know, push that even further. I mean, we've done, um, you know, we, Kind of launched a new brand within the brand this year uh, with the Public Land Meat Co. thing. And that'll be the same type of deal where, you know, we'll be putting out content, helping people with recipes and processing and whatever. But, um, you know, we'll have merchandise kind of along with that on the same website, you know, more Public Land Meat Co. stuff. um, And we'll be donating back from all of that as well. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's been fun to work with my brother, first of all. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and build this business into something that is, uh, you know, trying to do as much good as we can. Yeah,
1: and I think that there's a. It, it, it's cool to be able to, kind of, when you when you start the company, uh, and and you kind of touched on it when you were explaining the, um, you know, how how things kind of came together. But the company was started for something bigger than you and Josh, right? It was it was started yeah. to be able to. To give back to what you guys both grew up doing and what you love and it's because and i've said this uh, to numerous guests um uh, in the past is that you know what we're doing as hunters and anglers we're inherently taking from the land right so to be able to to do whatever we can to raise money to, to donate our time to give back to the land is is good and i, I think it speaks a lot about um you know not only well, I think it speaks a lot to the character of the people who are either working for the company or who, you know, run the company. And in this case, you and Josh.
0: Yeah, uh, um, that's exactly right. I mean, we're all consumers mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, as whatever outdoorsmen, hunters, fishers, you know, you name it, um, we probably, you know, consume a little bit more than your average person that's, you know, setting foot out on those. Out sure. of those yeah. So, um, you know, I think the biggest thing, too, is it's. You know, obviously we raise awareness about how important public lands are and that type of thing but I think the you know kind of the bigger baseline concept is helping people understand that simply being you know participating in hunting or fishing is not enough
1: right
0: you know buying a, buying a license or you know buying a gun or buying ammo it's not enough to sustain the you know the amount of management and land both land and animal management that needs to be done and you know if everybody hunted and fished that's that it wouldn't be an issue because there'd be a surplus of money and we'd have all these programs and and that type of thing but because we're such a small percentage of the community like I mean really if you look at it we're a tiny fraction of the country that actually participates in all this stuff Um, COVID year being a little bit of an anomaly with how many more people got back into it because they had nothing else that's true but that being said it's still it it's still been good to help people understand that it's it's okay and encouraged to go above and beyond simply buying your license or buying your duck stamp or going to a banquet or whatever Mm -hmm. it is um, to to raise money for conservation or to give back to conservation
1: yeah because i think it was uh i think it was jared over at two percent who he had whether it was on instagram or or facebook or, or one of those platforms he was saying that you know like doing those things like you talked about buying your tag or your your, gun that's just a participation trophy right like it's it's kind of like you shouldn't really well it's it's the bare minimum I guess in terms of conservation and there's it doesn't take a lot to to leave an imprint from you know whether it's you know donating money or donating your time with organizations you know even if it's even if it's one cleanup a year right that you, that you can afford time to like that that little bit is so much more than so many other people do um but when you start adding that up with all the different you know just regular you know outdoorsmen outdoors women it it, it adds up and it makes a um you know a real impact for you know habitat and wildlife
0: yeah yeah exactly um and it you know i've like, I certainly don't want it to seem like I'm looking down on anybody who right. just hunts because I did that for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. It wasn't until I had a little bit better education within the space, like, of how all this works. And I think that's that's what we need to do better of um, when we get people into the sport. Like, you know, if you're taking out a new hunter or getting your kids a new or whatever, I think we all can do a better job of, of explaining, like, how the trickle-down works and how the where the money goes and what that means. and and what uh what being conscientious of all of that stuff really means um so yeah i think it's just a it's and it's happening you know i mean there's been a shift in the culture and and the understanding um like i said earlier like the the how more well-versed everybody is in um everything within conservation it's it's been amazing in just like four short years like how much it's changed
1: yeah no you're you're absolutely right there and i think and i've said this uh to some other people is that it's almost like there's like a changing of the guard uh, in, in the world of conservation, right? Where it's being passed on to a younger generation, to our generation who maybe they didn't quite grow up with that understanding or the full appreciation of of giving back and everything like that. But we're kind of ushering it in to maybe some of the older generation that's still participating and, and most certainly um, the younger generation that's kind of just coming up through the ranks in terms of uh, getting their experience in the outdoor industry, so it's 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 really cool, like you said, in in just the last you know handful of years, how you know just the just the conversation has changed as far as the outdoors is, is concerned.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. Like, you look back for me personally, you know, like even say five years ago, six years ago, like Pittman Robertson Act had no idea what that meant. Yeah. I knew that there was a tax on guns, um, you know, like or like an excise tax, but right. I had no idea where the money went. Um, I was I had just heard all the information from a gun builder who was mad that he had to pay 11 percent for any gun over 50 guns that he produced um, back to the government, and I was like, wow, well, you know, knowing now, like, well, that's pretty pretty good for you know. Oh yeah, but, yeah.
1: Yeah. So as far as the public land tees go, um, you guys have done some amazing projects, partnered with some other, some, some great organizations. Um, one of the projects I want to talk about that you guys started last year was the first year. So 2020 was the second year was the Stamp It forward project, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, well walk me through that. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, we were talking to we talk about these conservation programs that already exist, like Pittman-Robertson Act, uh, Land and Water Conservation Fund, um, but one of one of the programs that is, uh, in my mind, not well known enough and underutilized, um, because is the, is the duck stamp program, so the, or the migratory bird stamp um, program, which started in 1934, and it requires anybody that is waterfowl hunting over the age of 16. To purchase a stamp to legally hunt, but the cool thing about it is it, it is by far the most um, the least overhead cost um, as far as like how much money is actually funneled to directly to conservation. So okay. by law, 98% of the purchase price. So you know it started as a one dollar stamp and now it's a twenty five dollar stamp. 98% of every dollar spent on a duck stamp. Has to go to purchasing wetlands, improving wetlands, purchasing conservation easements, or uh, adding to the national wildlife uh, refuge system. And so, you know, instead of um, a lot of conservation work where you, you know, a lot of the money is going to staff or overhead or marketing or whatever, yeah, you you have this almost a 100% direct shot into conservation or habitat improvement, which you know, is a trickle down. So like, not only does it help, uh, not only do duck stamps help, you know, like wetlands and habitat and migratory bird species, but there's a list of 700 species that benefit from these dollars. And you know, what's good for the ducks is good for the pheasants. What's good for the pheasants is good for the deer. What's good for the deer. You know, it's just like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter what the line. Yeah. Hunt. it, it helps, helps everything. So, um, yeah, like I said, if you duck hunt, you have to buy one, but, you can buy one at any time, anyone can buy one. You don't have to have a hunting license, you don't have to have a hunter safety membership card, you don't have to be part of an organization. Like it's, it's really this tool that's out there that, I mean a lot of people talk about it, but we came up with a way to kind of leverage this already existing conservation tool into a giant fundraiser, which then doubled into another fundraiser. So what we do is we invest money up front and then we ask people, um, individuals and companies, to basically make a direct donation to this project. And with every dollar that we raise, um, this last year was just shy of $40,000, we go out and buy federal duck stamps. And then through that, um, you know, everyone's like, well what do you do with the stamps when you get them? Because what are you gonna do with 1,500 dollars? Just, bo- just
1: bogarting all these stamps, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so what we do is we raise money for a few weeks, and then once we kind of get a pile of stamps together, then we start to give them away with purchases on our website. And what that allows us to do is every item that we sell on our website is an additional $5, goes back to conservation. And so we take one fundraiser, turn it into another, and it really kind of helps just amplify the whole mission behind public lantees. Yeah, and
1: that's, that's great because it's – While it is, there is an investment, obviously, by people, um, you know, and I would assume that there's obviously probably a lot of people um, donating to the cause that are not waterfowl hunters, but they they Mm -hmm. see the importance of it. Uh, I mean, I know that I've I've donated to the cause before, and while I grew up waterfowl hunting, I haven't done it in, you know, 15 years, but I see the importance of it, right? And then for that, for you to not only do that, you know, raise, you know, close to $40,000 for um, improvements... But then yeah, to turn around and let's say that's I mean, I don't even know the number. I'm not super great at math that quickly, but you know, the number of duck stamps that you guys were able to provide, well, and then you're giving them away with every shirt that you sell. I mean, that's a it's essentially it's a twenty, twenty five dollar freebie right on top of a shirt right. or a hat or a yep. hoodie, whatever. And yeah, just the, the trickle down and like you said, being able to piggyback is something that is is really cool and it's I don't I feel like you don't see a lot of companies out there that that do that kind of thing but then I, in turn i think it also kind of goes back to the whole reason you guys started the company right like it's yeah. it's not to to retire somewhere it's to it's to get back right and that's that's the beauty behind public land tees
0: yeah yeah no it's been really fun you know just a lot of like through that project alone just a lot of cool stuff has happened like uh, you know um, the, so the very first year there were several companies that like we bought a hundred stamps up front and then there were five other companies that were like all right here's 2500 bucks uh, to buy another we want to match your hundred stamp donation so this year we bought 200 and uh, one of the companies we'd worked with on year one was boss shot shells mm-hmm. and the first year they had sent us 2500 bucks cash and we went out and bought duck stamps well this year we did a little bit different and um if anybody knows about Boss shot shells, their their shells come in a box, and then you have a canvas a waxed canvas bag with the Boss logo on it, and that's like your shell bag, that's your mm-hmm. money bag. Yeah. So we on the other side, they printed our Stamp It Forward logo design on the other side, and then they also, and uh, I was proud of this one. So Lee chose is part, was one of the owners of Boss, and uh, he's like, "What are we going to call this? What are, like for Boss? Like what do we what do we call this?" In? I was, I was actually laying in the van when we were texting back and forth, and uh, I was like, what if we call it Cases for Conservation? Because it allows BOSS to then probably most likely leverage that branding to work with other organizations. Sure. So we called it Cases for Conservation. Um, that was printed on one side of the shell, Stamp It Forward logo on the other side of the shell, and you get the money bag with the Stamp It Forward logo on it and they did a limited run of cases and for every case they sold they donated 50 bucks to us to buy two more stamps and so it ended up being 6600 dollars because they sold 134 cases in four and a half hours oh wow wow yeah so that's impressive but it was just it was it was really fun to like watch companies that wanted to donate get creative about ways to like donate yeah Um, and just the amount of you know, feedback and different stuff that we've got from the whole project has been has been really cool.
1: Yeah, and it's I, I know that you and I had kind of exchanged some messages. I think probably probably shortly after uh, you guys had had done the first round, and I was just kind of telling you like, dude, this is you know this is an awesome project. This is this is great. And I I, I don't recall, but I thought you had said maybe it was around like twenty five thousand that you guys had raised maybe in year one somewhere in there. Yep. And then you're like, yeah, we're just we're hoping to you know do more than that. And then to hear you say you know forty thousand, I mean that's. That's almost doubling up in, in you know just your second year of, of doing it is is tremendous.
0: Yeah, Yeah. So almost yeah, like for year one we bought just over a thousand stamps. And uh, in twenty twenty we bought it was like fifteen hundred and seventy-eight stamps or something like that.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's well congratulations to you guys, because that's that's yeah. awesome, man. That's that's that's, that's great. So now do you guys have or can you share or kind of spill the beans about like any new like big fundraisers or big projects that you guys kind of have in the works or you guys already have
0: this podcast coming out.
1: (laughs) So it'll probably come out in two to three weeks. I've got a few more ahead of you and we only do once a week. So probably got a, probably got probably first part of February I would say.
0: Sure. So I can't share anything right now. All right. Uh, But the the goal is for early March, we've got a big, uh, a new huge conservation initiative rolling out. Um, and I won't I'm not gonna give any details right now but yeah, that's um, fine. people just follow along with, with me or public landes and um, I'll keep everybody updated about what's going on. But we've got uh, yeah, we've got one in the works that um already proud of it and we haven't even done anything yet. So Yeah.
1: Well those are the good ones. When when you <laughs> know before it's even kinda released or, or anyone really knows about that you know it's gonna do some good stuff, that's that's when you know you got a winner.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So now, obviously, we talked about it a little bit before, but being 2% certified, so what are some of the organizations that you guys are, are donating back to, obviously, um, like besides the money from the duck stamps, but uh, sure. the, the proceeds from the shirts and the hats and everything that you guys sell on the website there?
0: Yeah, so I uh, have given back to a whole slew of different organizations. Um, let me t- try to rattle them all off. So <laughs> uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, we helped donate to the Falls Creek Project in Montana, um, did 5,000 to them to help open a bunch of a bunch of access there um, just this last year we gave uh, it was like 1500 bucks to the National Wild Turkey Federation which was a really cool one for us because uh, you know a lot of the public land is in the west and so you yeah. know that's typically kind of like the access stuff is where we focus a little bit more on the west than we do the rest of the country just because of the percentage of public lands that are out there yeah uh, but that one was cool because not only was it good for turkeys, but it, we we bought $1,500 worth of sagebrush seedlings. Okay. And so that will help turkeys, mule deer, all of the small game, um, as well as wild sheep and you know everything else that uses that landscape. So, I mean, imagine how many seedlings you can buy with $1,500. <laughs>
1: it's a few bags, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, did that project we donated to Pheasants Forever. I think it was close to 2,500 bucks for um, one of their build a wildlife area campaigns. So we were part of Pheasant Fest last year, and we were asked to give um, at least—I'm trying to remember what percentage. We, you know, we gave five bucks. It was over the threshold for us, but um, gave to their build a wildlife area campaign where they buy—and um, a lot of people don't know this about pheasants forever—but they buy private land, and then they manage the land into pheasant habitat and deer habitat and you know wildlife habitat and then they turn it over to management from the state and so it's a public hunting area after they purchase it um so did that one i have donated to um qdma which is now the national deer association Um, donated to delta waterfowl which is an awesome organization that's just doing their best to help put more ducks over your decoys um BHA, we donated to BHA several times. Um, that was actually when we first started public land Tease. that's actually where all of the money was going at first. Um, because at that time and, and still like BHA across platforms, you know, when you're talking about hunting, fishing, outdoors, backpacking, you know. Yeah, it, they, it
1: encompasses they, a whole lot more, right.
0: Yeah, they just had the, the it was kind of like the loudest voice, you right. know, and it was it was it was getting the attention of the right market, which is the, the younger generation Mm -hmm. who needed to be fired up about all this stuff. And so, yeah, we, we try to continue to work with more and more different groups. Um, and, uh, you know, as we make more money, as we sell more merchandise, the more we're able to give back and the more we're able to, uh, come up with cool projects and, and be able to, um, keep an open access for everybody.
1: Yeah, no, that's, uh, it's, that's great that you guys are especially able to to spread, um, kind of the wealth around as much as possible. I mean, what goes into, to making the decisions as far as who you guys plan to donate to? Are you guys doing a lot of research as far as like maybe projects that, like you said, like RMEF was working on with purchasing some land or pheasants forever. I mean, how does, how does that process
0: look? Yeah, we try to do, we try to find projects like that, um, because we want to do the most you know, the we want to get the most bang for our buck and the most bang for the organization's buck. Right. Um, and so I try to you know stay in contact with all of those organizations, you know, about stuff they're working on or about you know something they have coming up or um, whatever. And um, fortunately, you know, um, a lot of those projects, like you know, somebody from the organization will call us or send an email, and be like, "Hey, we've got this coming up. Like, just didn't know if public plantees would be interested in either matching or donating or whatever." Um, And it's been, it's been fun that way to kind of, kind of see, um, kind of the runways that all these organizations have, um, as far as projects going. Um, yeah, but that's kind of how we do it. We try to, try to keep our ear to the ground and look for stuff that's really going to benefit people.
1: Yeah. Well, you guys have certainly been doing a good job of that so far. I mean, but you just touched on some of the stuff that you guys have been working on over the last was how long is public entities, um, how long ago did you guys launch?
0: Uh, three years like three yeah pretty much three years now
1: okay so yeah Yeah. that's that's a lot of good work in in just you know three short years and you know using social media to try to you know spread the word and and everything like that it's uh it's nice to see the good that can come from from social media especially in this aspect
0: yeah
1: so one more uh question here before i let you go sam in regards to two percent how was it that you guys learned about two percent and i mean it seems pretty obvious to me, but you know why? Why get two percent certified?
0: Yeah, so uh, learned about two percent right when it was kicking off. Um, you know, I've been working with companies like Sitka forever, and mm-hmm. so when it was all starting, you know, obviously Sitka was heavily involved in uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. These different people, the different partners that were like helped, kind of push this over the top for two percent to really pop off. And then, um, so that's how I learned about it first, and then uh to be totally honest I didn't really know how it worked <laughs> so um uh it was finally um a buddy of mine Aaron Hitchens um their early riser coffee company had gotten uh two percent certified and I asked Aaron I was like what's the process of this and like what does it mean and you know exactly like and he's like oh you know like kind of walked me through it or whatever so then I emailed Jared you know like the next day or whatever and so then I was gonna bring this up, but when I talked to Jared about it, he, he's like, "It's funny." He's like, "We knew you'd call at some point." <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, he's like, "We were actually talking the other day about like, okay, like, you know, most people like you can really figure out like how much time they've spent on conservation. So like the money's pretty easy, but the time is typically the hard part." Right. And he's like, "We were sitting around. And he's like." if Sam's driving the bus, does that count as time for conservation? Because, you know, and so we just had a good laugh about like, you know, it's like, I'm probably, I'm probably like 80% conservation. (laughs) (laughs)
1: 20% money, 80% conservation. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. 20% money, 60% time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But no, and that's, that's one of the cool things about, you know, becoming 2% certified. And I don't know that enough people, whether they just haven't looked into it or they just don't, you know, they don't know is that it's very easy to um, obtain those 21 hours from a, you know, a, 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 time standpoint, because there's so many different things that can be, you know, considered um, giving back to conservation. It doesn't have to be, you know, the, the things that you typically think about, like with, with the cleanup or a fence pole uh, or, you know, a river cleanup or something like that. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways and, you know, to become two percent certified, uh, it's 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 so accessible, right? It's so easy if someone just takes the time to to understand what really goes into it. it it's very easy for a company um, to get that certification.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's been fun. You know, it's it's cool too. Like, um, you know, every time we're we have a big project coming up or whatever, two percent's like, oh yeah, they'll share it. You know, like we'll talk mm-hmm. about it. We'll let people know what's going on, and that's been that's been cool to kind of have that support on, you know, when we come up with weird ideas, you know, they're all, they're all about it.
1: Now, have you noticed yourself? Um, I mean, obviously I know you guys have a lot of different, uh, relationships just throughout the industry, but when it comes time to, to buy something, whether it's, you know, gear or coffee, you know, beer, whatever that you tend to look more towards 2% brands,
0: yeah, for sure. You know, and it's uh, I've definitely learned about different brands, yeah. like that no idea existed simply because two percent posted about it. So that's yeah. uh, that's been fun too.
1: Yeah, and it's it's cool. Like on my end, being able to talk to to guys like you. I mean, we've we've talked a little bit in the past, but you know, when you, you talk to someone who has, has is starting a new company and they become two percent certified, and you get to learn more about their story, and then you know, I'm all about supporting other two percent brands. So like coffee books you know whatever the kind of stuff is like you order it from them and then you're like Man, this is really good coffee like why why haven't i been looking into this sooner you know so I, it's, it's cool kind of how that whole process comes full circle
0: yeah for, for sure
1: yeah well hey sam i'm gonna let you go i know you got another podcast you got to record this afternoon but uh, i really appreciate you taking some time to, to sit down and tell us more about your journey uh, and then public Land tees and, and all the work that you guys have done and uh it's really great
0: yeah, man, thanks for having me on, and uh, we'll have to hop on again maybe after we roll out this uh, next project. We can do a follow-up on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I guess we probably should have touched base uh, or been a little bit more open with our communication <laughs> because we could, have, we could have scheduled something then, but no, definitely getting you back on is a good idea, man. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. All right, well, take care of yourself, Sam, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing what you guys have coming out. Sounds good. All right, thanks, Sam. All right. Well, there you have it. A big thank you to Sam for hopping on the podcast today and telling us more about Public Land teas. I'd also like to thank the partners over at Go Hunt. Be sure and check them out at GoHunt.com, as well as Stone Glacier. Be sure and check them out at StoneGlacier.com. I'd also like to thank 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands, including Public Land teas, that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop for your gear. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media where they're going to post only positive content so you enjoy having some uh, conservation-focused posts in your feed. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, stay safe out there, and conservation starts with you.